Welcome back, dear listeners, to another riveting chapter of The Incongruent. In episode 4, our academic odyssey continues navigating the nuanced landscapes of accessibility, both in terms of data and financial resources. Join me as we scrutinize the financial resources required for various doctorate pathways, comparing the costs associated with traditional PhDs, DBAs, and the more financially accessible options of doctorates by publishing or thesis. But that's not all. We'll traverse continents, examining the potential of accessing top-tier British and EU-based institutes, contemplating the financial commitments, and exploring intriguing options for our academic pursuit. So, buckle up for another enlightening episode of The Incongruent as we embark on the journey through denied access, financial considerations, and the intricate dance of academia. Stay curious, stay engaged, and let's dive into episode 4 together. Subscribe, like, and don't forget to share your thoughts in the comments. This is The Incongruent, where knowledge knows no bounds. Episode 4 Part 18 Access Denied Having examined the projected timeline for the industry-organized competitions research project over the past weeks, estimating a duration of around 3.5 years, and comparing it with the varying timeframes required for traditional or DBA-style degrees, ranging from 2.5 at Hope Business School to 8 years with the University of Oxford, the focus now turns to the accessibility of data sources. Perry's guidance prompts an exploration that extends beyond mere availability to consider the broader connotations of access in today's multi faceted environment. As a logical extension of this exploration, I delve into the aspect of financial resources, recognizing that access encompasses a spectrum of considerations in the contemporary landscape, far beyond what Perry might have envisaged when he penned his paper. This thorough reflection and analysis, accompanied by a brief pause in publication, allowed me to reassess and appreciate the potential directions my study might take, a journey made richer by the insights of my esteemed mentors. Part 19, Accessibility Based on Financial Resources One of the most startling revelations from prior research is the staggering cost associated with pursuing a PhD or DBA. What adds to the complexity is the substantial variation in rate card prices. A DBA, for instance, could demand an annual financial commitment or available disposable income exceeding 150,000 UE Durham. On the other hand, traditional PhDs might range between 40,000 UE Durham to 70,000 UE Durham per year. In contrast, a doctorate by thesis presents a more financially accessible option, requiring a one-time investment ranging from 25,000 UE Durham to 100,000 UE Durham. Additional costs may include article processing fees, typically around 3,000 UE Durham for publishing a 4,000-word case in a Scopus Index 2.0 journal, and 1,000 UE Durham for participating and publishing in a conference-related journal. The premium fees associated with structured programs like PhDs or DBAs seem to serve the purpose of discouraging individuals seeking mere tick-box certificates, ensuring that those who embark on these journeys possess the commitment and academic experience necessary to see them through. This approach also safeguards valuable supervisor time from being squandered on candidates lacking genuine dedication or academic merit. In this context, considering the financial perspective alone, pursuing a doctorate by publishing or thesis emerges as the most financially viable option. Part 20 Accessing a Top 100 British Higher Education Institute in informal discussions with mentors, I've learned that PhDs from universities ranked in the top 100 tend to maintain their value, especially in the fiercely competitive job market within the UK. 
the advice I received emphasized focusing my research around the area I teach. Consequently, pursuing a PhD in education might not necessarily align with my goal of securing a role in a program specializing in marketing communications. To narrow down potential institutions, I turned to the World University Rankings to identify the best universities in communications and media in the UK. This exploration revealed seven potential campuses. Among these, King's College London (UCL) and the University of Oxford have been previously reviewed and are deemed financially prohibitive. LSE doesn't seem to offer supervision for doctorates and two other institutions either don't advertise a PhD by thesis or lack a program explicitly or indirectly addressing the strategic aspect of communication. This leaves the University of Glasgow as a potential option. For instance, the University of Glasgow's Centre for Cultural Policy Research provides PhD degrees in various subjects related to media and communication. The option to pursue a PhD by thesis publishing is available for an additional charge of £1,355, however this is only for alumni and faculty. As I contemplate the possibility of pursuing a doctorate at the University of Glasgow, I need to consider the financial commitment amounting to £25,290 per year over a 3-5 to five year term. Despite potential challenges like midges and adjusting to a different football culture, Glasgow could be a future option if I can secure the resources needed to fund my studies. Part 21. Accessing a top 100 EU-based institute. With a reasonable command of French, a bit of German, and extensive travel experience across the European Union, I decided to expand my search for the best communications schools using the World University Rankings to include our closest geographical neighbours, resulting in 16 additional possible options. This includes six schools in the Netherlands, a country I explored between 2014 to 16. While examining Dutch institutes, I stumbled upon a new way of pursuing a doctorate, joining the research faculty. In this model, you enroll in a PhD pathway, teach a few undergraduate modules, and dedicate time to your doctoral studies at other intervals. As a case example, the University of Amsterdam School of Communications Research has several enticing PhD positions. These positions offer a monthly salary equivalent to 11,000 UE Durham before taxes, and the topics are intriguing. While Dutch campuses seem to provide more transparency about the PhD experience and valuable insights, I couldn't find part-time or remote degrees, let alone a thesis-based option. Unfortunately, I also didn't find information on options in French, German, or Swiss universities, but this might be due to a language barrier issue. Part 22. PR Arena and ICCOPR World Cup in the course of my exploration into industry-organized competitions, I've identified a potential unexpected reward. Reflecting on my collaborations with the PRCA and EUPRERA, I realized that there are doctoral students who participated in these competitions, along with supervisors engaged in related research. This unveils an additional list of potential universities and supervisors, such as the University of Westminster in London, where a PhD by published work is a viable option, an institution where a former colleague recently obtained their PhD. Noteworthy mentions include Leeds Beckett, flagged by several industry figures in their academic records. Unfortunately, this isn't a viable option for me due to previously mentioned criteria. Additionally, a connection of mine passed through the University of Exeter, which is on my list. As a case example, the University of Westminster's CAMRI Communication and Media Research Institute stands out, boasting a thriving community of 50-plus doctoral researchers from around the globe focusing on media, communications, and cultural studies. 
campus. I now have the potential to submit work to several different campuses if I can find the financial resources to enroll. Part 23, Skeleton Keys and All Access Passes. In the upcoming chapter, I'm moving on to another apparent and, from various perspectives, conceivably more accessible form of access, access to data. I'm approaching this through the avenue of a doctorate based on publication or thesis, which is within my financial reach. It's worth noting that this doesn't exclude the possibility of a future DBA or structured PhD. Both paths can be pursued simultaneously, potentially offering synergies to one another. This approach presents practical advantages for the final two components of Perry's checklist, opening avenues for published work and the ability to monetize the doctorate. However, these aspects are subjects for future deliberations. Here, I delve into how my roles in PR and as a consultant should bolster my quest for this academic pursuit. Part 24, Public Relations as a Superpower. In my two decades of experience in public relations, client servicing, and team management, I've cultivated a robust professional network. My active LinkedIn contacts exceed a thousand, spanning the globe. The experimental podcast The Incongruent, with 50 episodes, has garnered over 4,000 downloads. Additionally, my now private Instagram account boasts more than 1,000 followers. My involvement in various industry organizations is extensive. I've served on the boards of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations International Committee, the PRCA COVID-19 Task Force, the Middle East Public Relations Association, and AIESEC. I was also a member of the Virtual Global Comms Corp recruited by the United Nations Foundation during the launch of the Sustainable Development Goals. Currently, I advocate for the value of co-working through the Impact Hub Network and have recently been elected to the board of the International Advertising Association in the Gulf. This network has been instrumental in my professional journey, securing employment opportunities. I've curated it carefully, making efforts not to offend anyone beyond the reasonable boundaries of business. In instances where conflicts arise, I promptly take measures to make amends. I abide by the PR mantra that a practitioner's value lies in the depth of their little black book. Even my hobbies, such as polo, horse riding, music, boxing, gym membership, and tour cycling, are chosen partly for their potential to expand my social network, aligning with Bourdieu's theories of cultural and social capital. The key to my success is an empathic appreciation for others' time and a sincere intent to ensure that people I engage with perceive a net gain from our exchanges. Following President J.F. Kennedy's ethos, I evaluate this question not only in terms of what data I can ask to access, but also in terms of the benefits I can offer to those who agree to share their time. It's a philosophy centered on reciprocal value, not just what they can do for me, but what I can do for them. Part 25, Exchanging Social Capital Rewards Research. In the current year, my engagement in various awards, along with my students, has already surpassed double digits. These include student categories organized by the Dubai Lynx, ICCOPR World Cup, the Roger Hatchell Academy Scholarship, Pearl Initiatives Youth Impact Lab, the Future Lions, the Abu Dhabi Sustainability Week Digital Art Competition, and the Alquaz Creative Entrepreneurship Competition. It's noteworthy that this list excludes competitions in which my colleagues participate, offering additional avenues for engagement through the same organizers, albeit outside my primary focus on advertising. 
I've taken proactive steps in developing a comprehensive research proposal contract which has been accepted by one award organizer. Pending approval from our ethics team, I have a ready-to-distribute template for all my awards contacts. Even if only a few respond, this presents a rich source of data. I'm confident that the relationships I've cultivated will garner sufficient cooperation for a study worthy of publication. Aligned with my personal virtue model, I aim not only to extract insights but also to deliver substantial value back to organizers. Participating in this study offers them several benefits. Engaging in this internal approval review, which may have been accepted by multiple organizations already, involves a minimal effort of sending introductory emails and reviewing the final document before publication. This presents a compelling case, suggesting that such initiatives could potentially be funded directly by the organizations themselves. The research via publication approach seems relatively straightforward, considering my personal access to numerous significant competitions and their organizers. Even with a mud-against-the-wall approach, success is highly probable. Looking ahead, my next challenge involves exploring access to a supervisor, a facet I hadn't fully considered until now. Contrary to my initial assumption of automatic enrollment and payment, I'm realizing that securing a suitable supervisor is an additional challenge that requires thorough exploration. End of episode 4 Thank you for joining us on this intellectually invigorating journey through episode 4 of The Incongruent. We hope you found our exploration into financial considerations and the strategic use of social capital both enlightening and engaging. As we navigate the intricate landscapes of academia, your thoughts and insights become invaluable. We invite you to be an active part of this academic adventure, subscribe to The Incongruent for more thought-provoking content, and don't forget to hit that like button if our exploration resonated with you. We cherish the conversations sparked by our listeners. Share your reflections, questions, or perhaps your own academic journey in the comments section. Your feedback is a cornerstone of this intellectual community we're building. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we delve into the challenges and opportunities of accessing a supervisor, a critical step in our pursuit of knowledge. Until next time, keep those synapses firing, stay curious, and remember, in the world of the incongruent, there are no limits to what we can discover together. Subscribe, like, and comment, because your voice matters. This is The Incongruent, signing off.